It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. One day left in this year, and oh my God, do we have a lot to cover. Coming up on the second half of the show, me and our favorite correspondent from the great state of Texas will go through some of the big stories of the year as voted through social media by you. But before we get to all of that, some brief introductions are in line. Hi, my name is Shaggy Jenkins. I'm a critical thinker, a problem solver, a guy that just got off of one full week of the beaches of my home state of Hawaii and found at my website, shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served. Joining me from the lovely state of Texas, his name is Drew Landry. Welcome to the show, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me on, Shaggy. It's good to be here again. Thank you. We have got a lot to talk about in our stories. Before we get to the biggest stories of 2018, I have got to ask you, before we get into anything else, (sighs) Drew, has this week been one of the tumultuous news weeks we have ever seen? Well, we've seen a lot worse throughout the entire year, which is you know, really makes you want to take a step back and breathe that, you know, this has been just one year of doing all this. But but it's been a pretty tumultuous week. I'll, I'll have to, to say that. It's just what we've seen in just a few short days. There's really nothing surprising coming from this White House and, and this, this president. So, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing, because uh, <laughs> when we talk about this week, Donald Trump has been under mm, ever-increasing pressure from the Mueller investigation, and as is his way, he loves to distract. He loves to take away from the major narrative, and it seems that this week, this week, more than any week before, Drew, does it seem like the president is having kind of a let-me-be-the-Mr.-Money-Man kind of guy? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I I'm having a real tough time. You know, that, well, let me let me back up and say there are moments in in his presidency where I just look and go, is he trying to serve the country or is he serving, you know, Trump Incorporated? And there are times when I when those are getting real, you know, bored lines and it's really problematic for me. But You know, what what we're seeing here currently is, you know, we're in this midst of this government shutdown that that he has admittedly owned. Now he's trying to say it's the Democrats' fault and it's, you know, minority leader Chuck Schumer's fault. But now he's, what he's brought out here is that next week, which is the beginning of 2019, we're almost there. We're almost there where... (laughs) Where the, the the pay raises meant for federal workers is going to be frozen, and he, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say this has a very particular interest because okay, first off, on this show we do pride ourselves of being very pragmatic and very centrist. So when it comes to a president, any president, even one like Donald Trump, that sits down and looks at the books and says, "Hey, you know what?" This year, the numbers don't make sense. 
I have to put a temporary freeze on a 2% pay increase across the board. Something like that would be a very kind of a routine and, dare I say, dull bit of the story. Yeah. However, given this president's particular interest in protecting the one percenters of this country with the tax uh, laws and kind of the ways that he's done it, and within the last two weeks going on the attack, not knowing that the president cannot fire the head of the Federal Reserve, but going on the attack against the actual financial institution that the country is based off of, Donald Trump seems to be taking this kind of a, no, let's cut these guys instead of a pragmatic decision as something that he's doing to show people that he's tough in the face of all of the stuff that he's faced. Drew, I got to ask you, is this an actual fiscal, financial, responsible presidential thing to do? Or is this a guy that's going, hey, here's something that'll take away from the main narrative? That is totally what it is. It's it's taking away from from everything that he's that that he's um, trying to really you know what's going on with him. And he's trying to you know put the spotlight on on something else. But but it's it's also his personality. You know this. You know we've gotten to know Donald Trump here in the past almost two years of of his term, and we've gotten to kind of understand him more so than we ever have because he loves the attention. That's never been an issue for for Donald Trump, but now he's getting in it in a way where people are starting to kind of get to know him, and I think that might bother him. And 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 here's why: we're picking up on all of his mannerisms. We're we're, we're picking up on all of his attitudes and what his preconceived notions are and all of his movements. And so what I'm getting at here is. This pay freeze is kind of like him sitting in the corner, you know, just like this with his pouty face going, well, if I'm, well, if this shutdown is going to continue to happen, the federal workers are going to get a pay freeze. And it's like, hmm. and, you know, just to kind of give you a bit of a, of a visual of that. And it just, it doesn't really seem like this is coming from a pragmatic sense. It, it's, it's coming more so of, I'm not getting my way, so I'm going to ruin this for other people as well. And I have to give out a little shout out here because I just got off of a plane of enjoying some uh, you know holiday time with 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 family. And usually, you know, I, I I'll I'll throw down my Constitution in front of the TSA agents because of privacy rights. And then I'll, but I wasn't like that today because I realized that a lot of these people probably aren't getting paid throughout this entire sh- shutdown. So I'm going to be very nice to them because they're doing a job that is, one, difficult in all sense of of the word. And now they're probably not being paid for it. And they're not going to get a raise either during this time period. So uh, it'd be nice if other people could do that as well. So anyway, but that's kind of what we're seeing here from, from this president is I'm not getting my wall. I'm not getting what I want. So no one else is going to get anything that they want either. Yeah, because let's just face it. Uh, and then I'll get to in just a second how this has kind of a, a little bit of a different twist for you in Texas and me in Hawaii. This story sure. does have a very interesting state by state kind of uh, <clears throat> breakdown. But before we get to that, look, with all of the president's pressures, the Mueller investigation, the actual fact that um, – <clears throat> All of these countries he said that he was, quote-unquote, the deal-maker with, last week announced that they were going ahead with a 
deal that would see the Pacific Rim. Remember the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP yep. thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems that they went ahead with a new version of it that the United States isn't on that will result in the next 10 years seeing 100% of the tariffs disappear between every partner country in there, thus resulting in more free trade and better economies for everybody in that. Donald Trump's actions lately have excluded us from what would be possibly trillions of dollars going forward in trade. So it does seem like when he's going back to the drawing board with this whole, hey, let's free the, you know, freeze the pay, it's more so about him being uh oh crap i just lost a bunch of money on the back end of this <laughs> then it is him being the the deal maker would you agree yeah he's he's always prided himself that i can make deals with all types of people i can do it all with with anybody but you know this is this is another slap in his face here that you know i'm going to be losing out and that's you know that's a constant problem for him. I mean, he's going to try. I mean, he's rearing up his camp, his re-election campaign. I mean, we all know this is going to happen, and so we're going to see this. You know, him going out on the stump, probably during the summer, late spring of of the upcoming year, and he's going to say how he did, he did a bipartisan thing for criminal justice reform, and he protected the average everyday worker with TPP. And now that sounded all great in the 2016 campaign because if if you even remember. Even uh, Bernie Sanders, the senator from uh, Vermont, who was running for the Democratic uh, Party's nomination, was even against TPP as well. And so he was. So th- you know, this was kind of like you know Trump's thing here. Look, we got to protect everyday workers. But I think even Trump himself thought that was going to be a pretty bad move. But he wanted to sell it so we can get more votes, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah. So, so what we're kind of seeing here is. You know, he's going to go out here and, and talk about all the achievements that he's done. He's not going to mention about, you know, what's what's not happened and, and, and how bad things are. That's where his opponents are going to have to come out and say, we've lost so much in trade deals. We've lost so much in this because of tariffs. And, you know, they really have to take that message hard to those who have been truly affected, like farmers here in Texas or in Kansas or in Iowa wherever farming takes place because of the constant, you know, uh, uh, tariffs that we've had upon uh, China that they've done back to us. These trade wars have hurt more average everyday people than what uh, the president likes to really lead on to say that they have not. Yeah, because, okay, now let's get into this part that I keep teasing. It's there is one part of this bill that specifically affects me in Hawaii and you out in Texas, radically different. And it has to do with locality of region. Now, yeah. what this means is, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I want you very carefully to think about this because not a lot of us critically think enough about this. The United States, city by city, county by county, is different. Not only in the economies that you have to uh, deal with, but in the way that trade and also the way that income coming in versus price of living coming out. It's called cost of living. And every single city in the United States has a different one. Here in Hawaii, we are the highest. 
cost of living. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is that possible? You live in paradise. Everything grows year round. (laughs) Okay, please keep in mind that there's a 138 year dispute over whether the fact that we're still a sovereign nation or not. Moving on. Okay, so... (laughs) I'm not touching that one, Shaggy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Please, trust me. I spent a whole week doing stories about the sovereign nation of Hawaii. And I'm going to tell you, Drew, so many people emailed to go, what do you mean that was a nation? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I I, I love to hold faith in society, but... Okay, let's just say that everybody, including you, as we call them here, Haoles, please study Hawaiian history. It is not quite what you think. It wasn't peaceful. Okay, but moving on. Here in Hawaii, because of the amount of money that it actually takes for us to live, every single year the state has something called a COLA law. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, Does this have to do with the widespread diabetes in your state? No, and that's insulting just a little bit. Um, Cost of living is actually an acronym. It stands for cost of living adjustment, COLA, okay? Cost of living adjustment. Now, every single year in the state of Hawaii, including corporations that work out here, they actually have a different pay scale because COLA laws. Now, Drew, when it comes to the, 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 the state of Texas, you guys have plentiful resources. You have land access to other states and trade and things like that. So your COLA, your cost of living adjustment per year, is significantly lower than it is in a state like Hawaii. Now, when it comes to yeah. Hawaii, this is the thing. Last year, we experienced a bit of an economic okay let's just say that things are expenses af right now okay (laughs) it's almost eight dollars for a gallon of milk if that'll tell you anything all right so with that said in this little executive order that the president is signing he stopped the location or yeah location of regionality adjustments and that means that not only are federal workers not going to get the 2.1% raise across the board, but people in Hawaii who actually depend on that COLA, cost of living adjustment per year, and people in Texas who don't need it quite as much but still kind of would see a bump on it, neither one of those places are going to get any of the benefits because at the end of the day, he's stopping all of it and in a place like Texas, mildly conservative, it might not be that big of a deal. But in a deep blue state like Hawaii, where <clears throat> every single penny counts to our income, this is not going to win the president a lot of fans. No, I, and, and you bring up a, a, a very good point there because the cost of living adjustments is something that is going to be very much helpful to those federal workers in all those different states. And this isn't just for, you know, the average, you know, like, you know, for, for, you know, random person in, in, in the state who might work for the post office. We're not talking about that. I mean, mean, they're included in this in, in, in some way, but we're also talking about those who are TSA agents, those who might work for the Department of the Interior, you know, because there's national parks throughout the country 
you know, and henceforth and and et cetera and and et cetera. But understand this. I mean, this locality pay increase that the president has said, you know, I'm not going to do is incredibly harmful because as Shaggy was very much astute on on this, different states have different cost of livings. And in Hawaii, it has a, a much larger one than a lot of those on the mainland. I got, I'm assuming that's one of the things you might call us. But uh, <laughs> but even parts of, of, of Texas have have different um, cost of living. I mean, I mean, the standard of living out here where I am is much different than if, if I was living in Dallas or in Houston or in San Antonio. Yeah, so, uh, people don't remember. Texas used to be its own damn country, too. Yes. Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it was actually uh, brought into the Union on December 29th, 1845, and so it uh, became the 28th state then. So, yeah, kind of an interesting little tidbit there. But, yeah, this was a, uh, you know, when you have diverse states that are large, like Texas, Florida, New York, California, perhaps even Illinois, uh, you'll have different regions throughout the states that will have different standards of living. And so the cost of living will be incredibly different uh, even within those states. So, So the point that's being made here is that the locality pay increase is something that would be very beneficial to those federal workers that is being slashed. And that's not, and you're exactly right when you said that's not going to be beneficial. Yeah. But this is the thing that has to happen for the president to lose support. Uh, they have to be able to point to somebody and say, it's, you know, this is coming from him. And what the president has been very, very good at doing is deflecting that light onto something else, whether it be the NFL and taking a knee or, the, or suddenly praising the military or something, whatever it is. He, and he's been very good at deflecting that. And so far, uh, a lot of people aren't really seeing what's what's happening on them you know, when it comes to their wallets. Yeah, because this is the thing, because not only did the president go ahead and freeze this um, <clears throat> freeze this pay thing specifically for federal workers. But remember last week he went on a surprise visit to Iraq and told everybody in the armed services, I gave you the biggest raise ever, a 10% raise. That was a lie. Drew, the raise that he gave them was the 2.6% COLA raise that the armed services gets every year. He did not give them the most significant raise. But on one hand, he's over there in Iraq, and he's telling all these people, armed service members, I gave you so much money. And then he jumps on a plane, comes back here to the United States, and says, screw your money. We can't give you any more. Um, is it safe to say that the greatest, quote-unquote, dealmaker might not be as financially uh, savvy as he thinks? Well, he, he's very savvy at figuring out what audience he, he needs to talk to, to to say these things to. I mean, he's got his, his list of priorities. The military is clearly at the, the top. Federal workers, not so much. Um, and that's kind of been his, his stance on things. He doesn't, you know, he, he, you know, he doesn't think the public workers should be able to uh, work uh, collaboratively, meaning to unionize, should not have the, the right to collectively bargain. And, you know, so and that's that's been his stance and a lot of others uh, who follow his ideas about that particular issue. Um, 
that's been their stance for a long, long time. So uh, he's very good at figuring out what audiences want to hear and what he needs to tell them at particular times. But uh, his his priorities are not particularly good when it comes to um, federal workers. They're kind of at the bottom of it all. Military, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Uh, give them whatever. But federal workers, no. Well, this is the thing that, that, that really gets me because <clears> – <throat> We've seen a guy that is increasingly under pressure from federal investigations, is under kind of the microscope right now of this whole shutdown thing that, let's just be honest, he's trying to say, I own it. No, the Democrats own it. And then the border security thing where he was like, hey, I own shutting down the border to I don't own it. And these children's deaths are actually the Democrats fault, not my fault. Okay, actually, it was Jeff Sessions' fault, but that's a who long story we'll get into the second half when we do the year in review. Okay, but long story short, Donald Trump right now with this federal cut thing is not making any friends because in a poll, a Gallup poll of the American citizens, 47% of people right now currently say the government shutdown is owned by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Now... This shutdown put 800,000 people out of work. And last week, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to work to get you back on the job. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm having to cut your pay raise that you're expecting for this year. He says, Drew, for all those 800 plus thousand employees that are laid off and need work, why don't they go paint a fence or dig a ditch? Um... Has Donald Trump went from being, and and, and I hate to say this, has Donald Trump went from being like trying to be a reagan light president to now being FDR in the New Deal? (laughs) Uh, I think every uh, progressive Democrat who is probably uh, cringing at the moment of you mentioning those two particular things at the same time. but uh, <laughs> like literally, I, this I, is like if you don't understand politics, yeah. this is me walking up to a campfire and saying, hey, this is great. I have about 300 pounds of uh, <clears throat> lightweight aviation fuel. Let's dump it right now and see what happens. <laughs> Kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodbye, uh, city. <laughs> well, it, you know, I don't I don't I don't really know. Uh, I mean, he's he's trying, you know. I, I'll say this about every president, whether I like him or not. They they have this idea of, of, of how to get America on track, and they think their vision is the best one that they have because they won the election. So whatever President Trump has in mind, he's got that in his head, thinking that's what's best for this country and then all that. Um, so, uh, you know, he's he's got a pretty weird way of relaying messages uh, he's, he, there are times where he can be tactful. There are times where he's completely just tacky. And this is one of those moments. I mean, I mean, to, to, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's got his times where he wants to say, this is the Democrats fault. Uh, and he, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. Well, try and play that game. You, that's fine. Even though you've owned up to it and said it on video that you could replay thousands and thousands of times. Uh, he'll still find a way to say that's somehow fake news or whatever else the case may be. But, oh you know, I, uh, this is a president who who has his ideas and, well, uh, tries to 
say them in some particular manner. I don't, you know, there are times where he misspells things. I don't know. But this is a president who is unique, just as all of them are. uh, um, I'm not quite ready to say he's, you know, Reagan-esque or New Deal-esque or Teddy Roosevelt or any of those things. I'm not quite ready to go there yet. (laughs) I don't I don't think any historian worth their salt would be willing to go there yet. I mean, let's let's just go ahead and be honest, Drew. I'm not sure they would go with Harrison as a comparison right now. And he died one month in. (laughs) Yeah. Remember, this is a guy that was so dumb. He gave a 90 minute speech in the rain against All of his cabinet advisors telling him to use an umbrella and a coat, and he died 31 days into office. That is the (laughs) only standard of presidential stupidity that we have to compare to modern. Because as much as I've tried to time and time again compare this to a Nixonian type of presidency, Donald Trump doesn't have that sophistication. And when it comes to how he treats federal workers, dare I say Nixon, was a lot kinder to the people closest to him, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's a big difference there. I mean, you know, we can, you know, the the attitude and the attacks on the media and his attacks on on other things are very parallel to Nixon. But Nixon held elective office. You know, Nixon was, you know, a, a senator. He was a vice president. This is a guy who who got his feet wet in politics. Donald Trump has never, ever been in politics in his life except as a lobbyist or as a donor or whatever the case may be. That's been his only experience in this. And now he's president and he says, I'm not a politician. Well, yeah, he's really not talking like anybody that that would have that. And that's really turned on a lot of people. I mean, that's a big part of his of 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 his support is that, hey, he he didn't talk like Obama. He doesn't talk like or W. Any of those other people, he talks straight from the gut and just whatever. He, he doesn't ever think or there, or there's no filter that's going to come out. He wants to be just as surprised what comes out of his mouth as everyone else does. Yeah, yeah the, the thing is, is, we all are. And when we yeah. get back from the break, we'll talk more about some of the most quotable things our president has said. Oh, and we've got to talk about John Kelly. Up next, it's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Given much thought to the afterlife of your Christmas tree, your city might recycle it into compost or mulch, or it might rot in a landfill, releasing methane, a potent greenhouse gas. But seen through the eyes of a chemical engineer... I thought, okay, this could be a good resource. Cynthia Cotti of the University of Sheffield. She says the needles are 85% lignocellulose, a tough woody material. But using heat and cheap solvents, Kati says she can transform pine needles into a liquid product called bio-oil, which contains glucose, acetic acid, and phenols. Useful stuff. Glucose is used as sweetener in the food industry. 
Acetic acid is mainly used for the manufacture of paints and adhesives. It is also used for the manufacture of vinegar. So basically the vinegar you use in your home is diluted acetic acid. And phenol is also used in the manufacture of certain medicines. Breaking down pine needles also yields a solid byproduct called biochar, which Kati says can be used to drive other chemical reactions. And although Christmas trees are only available seasonally, she says the same techniques could be used year-round on other agricultural waste like corn cobs and sugarcane stalks. The goal, she says, is ultimately zero waste. It would be an interesting way to decorate your house for Christmas and also get some paint from the acetic acid that you could use again to paint your house. That is to decorate it while Christmas is over. Which could give a whole new meaning to deck the halls. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back. No matter where you're listening to us from, including all of our new 2019 affiliates that came on one day early, Aloha. I'm, of course, your host, critical thinker, problem solver, guy left to normal and insane. My name is Shaggy Jenkins, located in the beautiful city of Pukalani, Hawaii. Aloha. Uh, Joining me from the wonderful, big, former country itself, Texas, uh, he has been a political guy. He's been a correspondent guy on multiple shows. And let's just face it, his favorite job right now is being an instructor. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Drew Landry. (laughs) Thanks for having me on again, Shaggy. It's good to be here. Thank you. Okay, we have got to talk about adults in the room because I... I know that you experienced this during your district run. Um, it's tough when you feel like you're the only adult in the room, isn't it, Drew? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not always the easiest thing to go through, yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to Donald Trump, Donald Trump has typically had adults in the room. Now, one of the most unprecedented things about our current president is And a lot of people got really worried about this, not just on the conservative side, but on the liberal side of the military industrial complex and how many generals found themselves in Donald Trump's cabinet. Well, John Kelly was by and large considered the adultiest of the adults in the room. And keep in mind him and Mattis and well, you remember the the, the, the three way, the trifecta. If one of us is out, all of us are out. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing. John Kelly, as, as, as of late, has been forced out by Donald Trump. And unlike Mattis, who basically said, uh, yeah, this president's crazy. I don't want anything to do with him. Um, Kelly has been kind of silent about his dealings with the president. But uh, I, I got to ask you this, Drew. When it comes to Kelly leaving the White House, how concerned should we really be with Donald Trump's upcoming behavior? Uh, n- not really. I mean, you can, as I mentioned earlier, this is a guy that we're, that we're getting to know better than we ever have. And we're starting to really realize this is a guy who just, if he feels like it, if it feels right, he's going to just do it. And it feels right to to him. That's that's a very subjective statement to make. But if he thinks it's the right thing to do, he's going. He goes, okay, I'm I'm just going to do it, regardless of what the intelligence says, regardless of what people in the room will say, um, any other advisors. If he, if you know that, and that's that's the I guess you could call it the beauty of being the president, is that you know you can get everybody in the room to, to tell you no, and then if you say yes, you know you're still the winning vote. Well, so this uh, is the thing, though. Been the the issue there. Yeah. I, I I I gotta kind of be like, well, hold on now. When it came to Afghanistan and ISIS, oh, and let's not forget Syria and and others kind of pressing wars and proxy wars that we've had over the last little bit. John Kelly has actually talked the president down from yep. the ledge. He has prevented him from pulling out 100% of Afghanistan earlier in his term. He prevented the president from saying, hey, you know what? Let Turkey and, and Assad and Bashir and all of those guys kind of work it out, Erdogan, all of them. Let them work yep. it out themselves and the United States get out of the way. And, and, and then <clears throat> keep in mind that just this weekend, Lindsey Graham Sunday had to have lunch with the president and talk him out of this rapid pulling out of Syria because Kelly isn't there to stop him. And keep in mind that the president's decision to pull us out of Syria was not only um, looked at as, oh, my God, what the hell are you thinking by everybody in the intelligence community? But when it came to our diplomatic allies, they they kind of looked at the United States and says, what the hell are you thinking? You pull out of Syria now. The Kurds are dead and Russia wins. Is this what you want? So. John Kelly has always been the guy that has kind of talked to the president about, hey, uh, remember that whole diplomacy thing your office is in charge of? I'm going to go ahead and posit this, Drew. Sure. We should be a little bit more concerned than the alarm bells are currently sounding when it comes to the exit of Kelly. Yeah, yeah and I, I can totally see that because, you know, this is a guy who served, uh, you know, I think 46 years in the, in the military, served in Vietnam. I mean, this is a guy who who knows to know. Um, but I'm I'm going back to the idea that you know, that, you know, presidents can make their own decisions and they can you know rely upon who who they want to rely on, and uh, that's just that's been their personality for a long, long time. Um, I think if if we're concerned about the filter of, of, of John Kelly no longer being there. And now, you know, I think, you know, whoever's going to come next is either going to have to have the largest spine in, in the history of the world mm-hmm. or 
you know, be the shortest lived chief of staff in the history of the White House. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't want to get that drastic, but that's kind of where we're seeing it it, it go. Um, but, you know, I didn't always agree with with John with uh, Kelly and, and on a lot of things, but but if it takes that particular motion to to get uh, the president to you know to to do something that might seem more logical, and if that particular person is gone, then um, well, uh, what's going to come next? Well, That's see, kind of well, a weird question. okay, so this is the deal <clears throat> when it comes to what is next and uh, the whole John Kelly question. See, that's the thing that I have genuine concern about because, like you pointed out, he's been with war and planning of wars and involved with the statistics and cost of human life and the actual diplomacy ever since the Vietnam War. I mean, this is a guy that has seen multiple presidents come and go and is inside of Washington, D.C., mind you, maintained a rather pristine reputation. So when Kelly would go to the president and tell him, you can't do this because it's stupid, you can't do this because it would screw us up, he actually had the weight of all of that experience plus the reputation within D.C. of people, you know, let's just be honest, throwing an elbow to Donald Trump every so often and going, don't you know who that is? You better listen to that man. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, fair is fair. When it comes yep. to clout, John Kelly, uh, <clears throat> oh, he comes into the room with his testes in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting uh, 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 visual to to uh, have there. Thank you for that. But <laughs> I'm sure I've just made your week. <sighs> this is why on the Shaggy Jenkins show, we do offer therapy sessions for all of our correspondents. Um, but here's the thing about this story, though, because with John Kelly's exit, the quote unquote adult in the room is leaving. The diplomatic mindset of a guy that has actually had to engage in war, not just as a soldier, but as a general and as a planner and as a somebody that has to deal with the consequences of said conflict for the years after it is over. John Kelly taking away all that experience from the White House. I mean, I'm just going to throw this out here with the president's temporary appointee of Mulvaney as his chief of staff does Mulvaney even stand a chance of being half as smart as Kelly was no uh, he he doesn't and not to have that kind of gravitas that John Kelly had um, might exactly be what President Trump is looking for maybe he got tired of the constant round and rounds on particular issues that that he had with with Kelly maybe he just wants someone who who he can just kind of talk over and say you're going to do it, and that's just going to be the end of it. Maybe that's what he's looking for now. Uh, but to give Mulvaney a little bit of credit, this is a guy who was a congressman. He was, you know, President Trump's, you know, head of the o OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, which helps craft the president's budget. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a guy who has some breadth of experience, but. As far as being in charge of the president's schedule, of running his agenda inside the White House, constantly running with Congress, uh, having a grasp of, of foreign relations, um, this 
this is not uh, even going to, I mean, this pales in comparison to, to John Kelly. But with with Mattis gone or, or going to be gone and Kelly gone, um, these are some key people inside of the Trump White House who are going to have um, particular just, just shadows that, of, of the next person, whoever comes in there. And I don't know if these are going to be people of, of, of character that they were before. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I kind of want to bring that up. I don't want to paint a pretty pristine picture of John Kelly. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I have been talking about the guy rather nicely, but yep. let's remember that before Kristen Nielsen, he was the head of Department of Homeland Security. He was the one that started enacting all of the stricter and brutal draconian immigration policies that we've seen. And when, and I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and toss this out as one of our biggest stories of 2018. Um, when Jeff Sessions decided to toss logic and advice to the wind and single-handedly enact the border separation zero-tolerance policy, John Kelly, as head of the Department of Homeland Security, enforced it with That's zeal. That's right. So, That's, yeah. Drew, I I really don't want to paint this guy as somebody too nice because let's remember, fact is fact, at the end of the day, some of the more harshest policies out of the Trump White House, Kelly had a personal hand in enforcing. Yeah, he did. And, you know, we can't always, you know, we, you know, we, what we're, what people of what we're doing of this particular trade like to say, I mean, we, we paint the president in a particular light, and then we paint those around him as the adult in the room or in some other way and say, look, this guy compared to this person is a magnificent person, and he's very, very good at all this sort of stuff. But when we look at even their governing record, we see, you know, this isn't all, all that fantastic. You know, this isn't all, all that great. Uh, you know, this is kind of where we are with, you know, whenever we have uh, a, a, a revision of something. Um, you know, we always have to bear in mind the, the full scope of someone's record uh, in, in government because whatever is done, uh, that's, that's going to be on them for henceforth and, and, and forever. That's just, that's just the role of the game. Yeah, and I mean, look, Kelly is one thing. And I mean, we could really talk about Kelly all day long, but let's just go ahead and say that when it comes to this administration, they haven't had a lot of adults in the room to begin with because without getting into the finances of it okay this year the house of representatives and the senate engaged in investigations behind presidential bias and when it came to the presidential bias and and i'm going to go ahead and say drew the only reason i say it like that is because i think mitch mcconnell secretly resembles droopy dog from the cartoons of our youth <laughs> I was going to say a turtle, but okay. Yeah, but every time he talks, I just hear him going, you don't like me. But, um, okay, when it comes to Congress this year, the president is the only one that's been crazy. Look, we're getting ready to get a new House of Representatives that's going to be Democratic controlled. And as such, we are stopping a lot of the shenanigans that happened under a GOP controlled House. 
one of those shenanigans had to do with this investigation, not behind election fraud, because that was a separate committee that was a whole other waste of hundreds of thousands of your dollars per day as of existence. No, we're going to talk about the <clears throat> needless investigation into the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the intelligence community of the United States from the House of Representatives against the president. Drew, after some 17 months of existing, guess what their panel found? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. They found nothing. Now, however... They did make sure to be a little extra snarky when it comes. I mean, look, Republicans, for a bunch of people that hate gay people, y'all love to kind of throw shade. If y'all know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging, but I'm judging. Uh, <clears throat> moving on, uh, for a party that likes to askew gay culture, they definitely engage in throwing some shade when it comes to things like this. And they, they, they say that, oh, if you're not for us, you're against us. If you're not with the Team Trump and Team GOP, it must be some deep state controversy, some, some sort of liberal bias. And, oh, after all of these months of investigation, we found absolutely nothing. So we're going to write in the comment section that we think that there's such a thing as presidential bias. By the way, first official governmental use of the term presidential bias. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, you know, look, you know, Congress has the ability to do whatever kind of investigations that they want to do. Um, there are hundreds of things that are going on in, in this country that deserve some sort of, of investigation. I mean, we have to remember that those, those bankers, those, co those CEOs that were behind the, the, the uh, e e economic crash of 2008 have, none of them have gone to jail. None of them have, have, Faced any kind of scrutiny, um, none of those things, and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to even spend time to even investigate anything like that. You know, they say that, oh, well, that's ten years ago, and that, you know, you got to let it go or whatever else. No, that's that was I mean, our economy was, I mean, it probably weaker than the Great Depression at that time. How can you not want to investigate that? Or they want to investigate emails of, of of Hillary Clinton and Benghazi and do all this types of stuff. Yet they find the exact same thing. Nothing's there. It's just a bunch of nothingness. Yet whenever we want to do investigation over election meddling and collusion with another country that could possibly lead to some sort of treason, that's some sort of a witch hunt. That's some sort of a thing. I mean, you know, the double standard is is rather gross. But but to be fair, and this needs to be said too, during the Clinton impeachment process, you had even the Clinton team saying. These are the Republicans coming after me. They, I know, yeah, I did this all bad, but you know, this is nothing more than just party politics and 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 whatever else. So the the um, the double standard is often played by whoever the occupant of the White House is, and that's about as fair as I can get on that. But yeah. I will ha have to say this: the wasteful amount of money spent on this um, that keeps coming from this side of the aisle whenever they hold. The the, uh, the congressional branches, well, the congressional uh, uh, chambers is rather di disgusting. I mean, if you're going to spend that much money, find something. I mean, something. I mean, just create it. I mean, you had the opportunity to just create something. Right. You, 
Oh, well, I mean, okay, look, let's, let's, because you mentioned something very interesting. And, and before we get out the end of the show, I do kind of want to talk about some of the biggest stories of 2018. So sure. as long as we are talking about things that Congress could have better spent their investigation money off of. Okay, so for 2018, um, honestly, I think it would have been a better use of governmental money to to explain, was it Yanni or Laurel? <laughs> that is much more of a good governmental use of investigative power than it is if the intelligence community, the non-biased, by charter, governmental, not linked to any of the three branches, <clears throat> intelligence community, uh, their bias, I think that we could have investigated things like why did Kanye West say that slavery was a choice? Yeah, that's um, all that money that we spend on things. We could always reinvest it in other particular manners, you know, and that's that's my biggest concern about. I mean, I you're wanting to go on to something else here. But before we do, I just want to say, you know, with all the money that is projected to go into the border wall, that's money that could be spent upon bigger infrastructural programs of the country inhabitably needs such as better roads and better bridges and internet in, in the rural areas. And that's that. Why are we talking about five billion or $20 billion for a wall whenever we could use that money to better schools and all that sort of stuff. And oh. that's, that's the ongoing problem that me personally that I have. Um, and, and there's a can of worms. I just pointed it out. We don't have to open it up if you don't want to. No, because that is actually the first can of worms that I was going to open up. When it comes Very to nice. the year 2018, here's the funny thing about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the president started off this year by saying that he was still going to find, uh, find a way for Mexico to pay for that border wall. Then, after a while, he said, nah, you know what? Maybe we should pay for the wall first and then have Mexico reimburse us through the changing of NAFTA. Now, <clears throat> he did try to change NAFTA. Congress mm -hmm. hasn't approved it yet, so it's actually not changed. It's still NAFTA, not the USMCA, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> YMCA? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the UMCA. <laughs> it's the worst trade deal in his. Okay, uh, anyway. <laughs> With all of this said and done, our president this year has tried time and time again to get federal funding. Federal, not Mexican, not trade, not tariff. Federal funding, your tax funding, to build a southern border wall. <clears throat> At the same time that he is trying to fund this southern border wall, this year we learned that 40% of the world's water supply is polluted. And according to the latest polls, uh, as far as the entire scientific community is concerned, we are within 12 years of reaching the carbon tipping point, which would be very devastating to life on planet Earth. Not just me and you, but all life on planet Earth. And with all of these revelations that have came out time and time again from the rest of the world, our president just recently decided, on top of all of the stuff that he did this year, we're going to pull back the mercury requirements now when it comes to environmental protection. Drew, could we say that the year 2018 was actually a pretty toxic year? Very much so, both 
both politically speaking in in Congress and in the environment and all of those types of things. No question. I mean, this is this. You know, when we look back at what was leading up to the election, uh, there was a lot of hopes that Democrats would take both chambers of Congress. Taking one is better than none for the Democratic Party. Um, so uh, you're you're going to find. I mean, this is really. I mean, we've talked a little bit about President Trump and his ability to make deals and how that hasn't been all as what it's cracked up to be. But now he's going to have a divided government coming into Washington here in, in, in about a week. And he's going to have to figure out how he's going to deal with the new Speaker of the House, who will be Nancy Pelosi. Right now, uh, as we saw on live television, it did not go over, over very well. And he's going to have to, you know, find some way where they're going to have to have common ground. And a wall is a non-starter. Uh, and, you know, environmental protection is something that they're going to have to find some sort of an agreement on. I mean, this is a president, and there is a, a big base of his who believe that climate change is not just a hoax, but put on by the by the Chinese, that it's some sort of a conspiracy theory put on by the government or even the big auto industry, so that they will be forced to buy Ford Focuses and, and Priuses and all these other types of small cars. Um, you know, they'll admit that the climate is changing in some way, but they don't believe we have anything to do with it. Okay. Can I just say something real quick? Guys, please stop denying climate change. We are going to lose 25% of the island that I live on due to rising sea levels. Stop denying climate change. You're literally killing us here in Hawaii. Yes, and, and you're going to find that not just out there, but even in parts of Florida, you're going to find, you know, you know Louisiana, California, the Everglades. Wisconsin. So, yeah, this is this is an ongoing thing that, that that his base of supporters are just going to say, you know, no, uh, that's just not how how, how that's going to work. Um, and you're not going to convert them. Well, okay. as long as we're talking about things that we can't convert the president on and we've only got like a minute or so to cover this. so I'll be really, really quick. This year, the president has shown us that despite evidence that Russia is a bad place, Saudi Arabia is a bad place. These are not characters that we want to deal with. Erdogan and Turkey, not cool people. The president this year did something unthinkable, and that is he sided with a foreign government, Saudi Arabia, after one of their princes orchestrated a murder plot against a nationalized, a naturalized United States citizen, Jamal Khashoggi, who worked for the Washington Post. Drew, was this the year that media learned that the president doesn't have our back? I think they learned that during the 2016 campaign. Uh, they saw the attacks coming, but this this was a year that, that just said, look, if you work for a place that you may not that may not agree with the president, um, he's not going to really support you. Had he worked for the Washington Times, had he worked for for Fox News, I think he probably would have gone to the nth degree to probably save him in some way or, or punish Saudi Arabia. Uh, coming from the Washington Post, um, you know, sorry that that's uh, I, you're finding favoritism in the in the saddest places possible and. First Amendment is there regardless if you agree with it or not, and um, you need and 
right now the president doesn't really like it that much. No. So, so well, we got to ask this final question. Sure. Drew, 2018, in a word, good or bad? Uh, oh, <laughs> I can't even give you a word. All I give you is, is an emotion. Okay. Oh. Well, for everybody else, thank God this year is over. Help us, 2019. You're our only hope. Until next time, love you, mean it. Kate and bye. We'll see you here.